And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality. With him. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We come trusting that in Jesus uh, you dwell with us. We are your temple. The fullness of your spirit is here with us in this room this morning. And so we have come with our songs. We have come singing of what Christ has done for us, that He is our rock, that we are dressed in His righteousness alone. And now we come in reverence to Your Word, trusting that the Spirit who produces our songs has also given to us this book, has given to us these instructions, and they are difficult ones. We have read words that are Sometimes hard to understand and even harder to obey, even harder to put into practice. And so we need your help. We pray for that promised spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our hearts, to make us humble, receptive. And we pray that not only the information of this text, but the power of this text would impact our lives 
and would change us so that we could live as a reflection of your beauty, a reflection of your glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of years ago, I preached a sermon series on the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is another letter in the New Testament that is very similar to Ephesians. And there is a section in that letter that very closely mirrors what we just read in Ephesians. And when I preached on that section of Colossians, at the end of that sermon, a young man got up and left. And because I'd been in conversation with that young man, I knew that him walking out the door was him walking away from the Christian faith in response to what was said in that passage. Now, I began that way to acknowledge that this teaching here in these verses is difficult, and it is often deeply offensive. I begin that way to acknowledge that many of you, perhaps most of you, as we read these words, they filled you with all sorts of questions and concerns, and maybe even with pain and fear. Submit. Obey. Not the most popular words in our vocabulary, are they? Authority. Not the most popular topic for conversation, is it? And oftentimes, for good reason, human history, as well as our own personal histories, it is full, they are full of examples. Examples of people with power doing harm. And in some cases, people using this text and others like it to prop up their power to do harm to others. So this is a difficult text, no doubt, but still it's here. Still Paul, an apostle sent by Jesus, an apostle speaking for God, will not Let us avoid those words. Submit. Obey. He will not let us avoid the difficult topic of authority. And in fact, he says a relationship with Jesus should result in relating well to human authority. It should result in living well in response to human authority. So, we need to take some time, and we need to consider what we find here. We need to consider it carefully. We need to consider it honestly. And so we'll look here, and we're going to look at two aspects of authority. Two aspects of authority. The environment of authority, and the use of authority. So first of all, environment. (coughs) Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 places human authority, it locates human authority in the household. Now, when we hear household, we think a couple of parents, few kids, right? That's not what the Ephesians heard. When the Ephesians heard 
household, they thought what was their experience, what was their culture, which in a household in their culture lived a large extended family, usually grandparents and their children and their spouses and their children, along with domestic servants. That was the household. That's the household that Paul is talking about here in this text. And it was the basic structure of Roman society. It was the building block. It was the glue of of Roman society. Everything centered around the household. Even business and politics and art and education and all of the other elements of what we think of as culture. It was all integrated and connected to this idea of the household. Paul is speaking to the glue that that held Roman society together. So the question is, what does he do with that? What does he do with that social order? And I'm oversimplifying here, but there are two basic responses to that question. First response to that question, commentators, theologians, they look at this text and they say, Paul, he was affirming the social order. He was endorsing this social order. He says, submit. He says, obey. He was a conservative. He wanted the status quo to stay the status quo. Now, the problem with that is that the status quo included slavery. Right? It included slavery. What he talks about here as servants and masters, it was slavery. It was different, yes, than the transatlantic slavery that's a part of our country's history. Often people became servants, domestic servants, because they couldn't pay their debts. They had overwhelming debts. But there were still servants as a result of war that were captured through conquest. And so the status quo includes slavery. Some people owning other people. Are we going to say that Paul endorses that? He affirms that? Okay, well, some other people respond, no, 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 that's not right, that's not right. Let's, let's pay closer attention to what Paul says. And let's compare it with the literature of the day. Because Stoic philosophers, they wrote household codes as well. That in some ways are very similar to what Paul is writing. They wrote in the same categories that he writes here in Ephesians 5 and 6. And let's compare what Paul says to what they said. You see, when the Stoic philosophers, when they wrote these household instructions, they wrote only to men. Only to men. And they wrote to men with instructions on how to manage women, children, and slaves as property, not people. What does Paul do? Well, first of all, he writes not only to men but to women, children, and slaves as well. right? He addresses them, which is a radical cultural move in the first place. And then what he says to them and what he says about them elevates them, dignifies them, raises their worth and their position in this society. So Paul's a liberal. He's a progressive. He's a revolutionary. He's not affirming the status quo. He is abolishing it. He is overturning the social order. The problem with that is he still says submit and obey. 
And not only that, he roots the marriage relationship in creation, not culture. He roots parental authority in God's law, not Roman law. So which is it? Paul the conservative? Paul the liberal? Paul the affirmer of the status quo? Or Paul the abolisher of the status quo? Which is it? Which is it? Well, neither. (laughs) Neither because the question is wrong. The question misses what Paul is about. The question misses what his goal is here in this text. Paul isn't commenting on the cultural situation. He's not a social commentator here and saying this household and the way the household runs, that is just, that is unjust, that is right, that's wrong. That's not what he is doing. He's not commenting on the social situation. He is applying the Christian identity to the social situation. You see, Paul knows, he understands, culture changes. The vision of what a household is, that changes. The way societies work, that changes. But for the Christian, there is something that doesn't change. And that is our identity. That is who we are in Jesus. So what Paul is doing here is he wants Christians to function in the household in a way that flows from a deeper home. He wants them to function in the household in a way that flows from a deeper home. Their home with God in Jesus. He wants these relationships out in society, whether that's in the family, whether that's in work, or whether that is in other segments of society. He wants all of those relationships to come from and to reflect their relationship, our relationship to God in Christ. Our function in the household, whether that is our homes or whether that's work or whether that's our relationship to our government or etc., Our function in the household should flow from our true home with God in Jesus. Now that home involves authority. But it involves the the ultimate authority that conditions all other authorities. So masters, bosses, remember you have a boss. And he is in heaven. And he is perfectly just. And he is paying attention. Servants, okay, respect those who are in authority over you, but not because you belong to them, but because you belong to another master, because you belong to Christ. Children, honor your parents. How? In the Lord. Parents, train your children in the Lord. Live according to the authority of your true home. But that true home with God, it involves more than authority. It is a relationship of union, of connection, of belonging and intimacy and participation in the life of God. So marriage. Wives, submit. But what does that look like? Well, it looks like the church in response to Jesus. And what does that look like? 
What metaphor, what image does Paul use for that? He does not, notice, use king and subject. Is Jesus our king? Yeah. But that's not the image he uses for marriage. He uses head and body. Union. Intimacy. Connection. Oneness. Husbands, love your wives. But what does that look like? Well, it looks like Jesus with the church. And what does that look like? Well, Paul reaches to the language of Leviticus. All these, uh, this language about washing and sacrifice and blemishes, that all comes from Leviticus. It comes from the sacrificial practices of the Old Testament. Why? Why does he use that? Because with the sacrifices, God is reaching out to his people and he is bringing them near. He is reaching out to his people, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, and he is bringing us to a home with him. To a vital nearness and connection with Him. So, our function in the household must must flow from a deeper sense of home. A higher authority and a deeper belonging. And so as we step out into relationships, relationships that that involve authority, whether we have it, or we're responding to it. When we step into those relationships, the first questions we must ask ourselves is, where is my true home? Who is my highest authority? Where do I find my deepest belonging? You see, Christians should live like hermit crabs. Hermit crabs, they don't have caves, and they don't have dens that they live in, right? They carry their home with them. That's how we should live. That's what will enable us to function in these relationships in a good way, in a good and healthy way. It is that we carry our home with us. Our union with God through Jesus. Our vital connection to Him. Our belonging to Him. Our intimacy with Him. We carry that with us. And as we understand that and as we experience that, that is what enables us to then live well in these other relationships. Here's how this works. Here's how this helps relationships. See, most marriage struggles are not a result of failing to get headship and submission just right. Most marriage struggles aren't about the precision of, is the husband being the right head and is the wife submitting in the proper way? That's not the vast majority of marital struggles. You know what marriage struggles are? It's we're looking at each other and demanding each other to be our true home. We are looking to each other for what only God can be for us in Jesus. We are trying to make each other our true home. And then we don't know what to do with a disappointment when we don't find it. And so we go to anger and we go to distance. It's the same for friendships. It's the same for work relationships. It's the same for parenting relationships, whether that's the parent or the child. We go to each other looking for what only God can be for us in Jesus. And so it is only when we find our true home in Him that we can enjoy those relationships, that we can live healthily in those relationships. It is when we find that highest authority, that deepest belonging in our Father through Jesus. 
So where do you find your true home, husbands? Where do you find your true home, wives, parents, employees, employers? Where do you find your true home? Now, of course, this passage is more than just a description of environment. The environment for relationships of authority is our ultimate belonging to God. But this passage is more than that. It is also instruction for action. It's instruction for how we should live concretely in these relationships. So consider, secondly, not only the environment authority, but the use of authority. The vision for relationships here says that they should look like the end of a Shakespearean tragedy. Everybody dies. Right? The end of Hamlet, everybody's dead. And that is the picture here of these relationships around authority. Everybody dies. Everybody, in some sense, loses. Everybody gives in a costly way. Right? Those under authority, they have to surrender the right, the measure of control. And therefore they place themselves in a very vulnerable position. Right? To be under authority is to be vulnerable. Vulnerable to harm. And then notice what Paul does as he does that. He, he always starts with those under authority. And he sets them up in that vulnerable position. And then what does he always do? Through this text, he looks at those in authority and he says, don't take advantage of that. Protect that. Nurture that. Support that. Allow that to grow. You see, authority isn't the person who gets what they want. Authority is the person who sets aside their agenda and their comfort in order to serve that what is best for those under their authority. That's what authority looks like. It is those who set aside, those who are willing to die for what is best for others. So everybody dies, but notice the movement. Everybody dies so that what? So that everybody can live. This is a dance here. This is a dance designed by God where everyone moves for the sake of the other. Everyone, whether in authority or under authority, everyone moves here in this text for the sake of the other. Wives, make room, make space for your husband to grow in Christ-likeness. What does that Christ-likeness look like? Strong male leadership? No. Do you notice Paul doesn't say, husbands, lead your wives. Right? You'll see the word leadership anywhere in there, do you? Am I missing it? Is it in the Greek somewhere I didn't catch? No, he says, husbands, Love your wives. So wives make space for your husband to grow in Christ-likeness. And what is Christ-likeness? It is giving up. It's giving away. It is sacrificing. It is setting aside your agenda, setting aside your comfort so your wife can flourish. Everybody dies so everybody can live. Everyone moves for the sake of the other. 
Now I know. You want more detail. You want more detail on headship and submission. I know it because I want it too. (laughs) But would you notice? The Bible doesn't paint in a lot of detail with this one. And that's significant. It is significant that the Bible doesn't paint with a lot of detail on this one. Because what it does is it gives us these broad categories and then gives us the freedom, trusting in the mercy of God, crying out for His wisdom, to figure it out. And it will look different in every marriage. It will look different in every marriage. Be very careful of those who would over-specify headship and submission. <coughs> You see, we struggle with a lack of clarity. We don't like to live with that. And so what we do is we fill up those categories with details. And then we give those details biblical authority. And so a woman should look exactly like this. A wife should look exactly like this. A husband, a man should look exactly like this. But what we've done is we've imported cultural values, or we've imported preferences, or we've imported our background, and we've made them the Bible. We have given to them the authority of God. Don't do that. Be suspicious of people who do that in their books and their seminars and their conferences. The Bible paints in broad brushstrokes. And it gives us the freedom in Christ to figure it out. And I'll say, I, I, I took a dig at books there, but I'll say a book that lately has been very helpful on this issue is Tim and Kathy Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage. The best treatment, I think, out there of the the issue of of submission and headship. Okay? So, husbands and wives, you're dancing in a way, you're moving in a way that promotes the other, that gives life to the other. Parents and children, you're in a dance as well. You are moving for the sake of the other. Children, as you obey, as you honor your parents, you're giving them space. You're making room so that they can play the role that God has given to them. Parents, you've been given authority. You've been given authority by God. But it is not the authority to crush your children. It's the authority to cultivate them. Parental authority is the authority of a farmer who promotes growth and life. And listen, parents, shame and overly harsh discipline does not promote growth. Shame and overly harsh discipline does not promote growth. It promotes anger. And so here Paul's saying, fathers and mothers, don't provoke your children to anger. And I need to make very clear, if it's not all already clear, what Paul says here about both marriage and parenting does not in any way allow for abuse. And if abuse exists, then other authority structures need to get involved, including the authority of the state and the authority of the church. So parents and children, you're in a dance. You're moving for the sake of the other. What about bondservants and masters? Well, I think to ask that question, we first of all need to be grateful that as far as I know, no one in this room is a slave. As far as I know, no one in this room is a slave owner. 
And so we need to be grateful that the institution of slavery has decreased in our world. It hasn't gone away completely. It still exists and should be resisted. But it has gone away for many of us. And so we should be grateful. We should celebrate that. And then we should also be aware that we have other relationships under authority and with authority that are not the same as the master-slave relationship, but they are analogous. At work, you are under authority, you are in authority. And so we need to take what Paul says about doing good work, about respecting authority, and we need to apply it there. If you have authority, if you have influence at work, which many of you do, you use that in a way that cultivates others, that allows them to grow, that allows them to flourish. We are learning in every situation, in every relationship, to move for the sake of the other. Everybody dies, so everybody lives. This teaching reminds me of Hamburger Helper. Because when I was in upper elementary school, my parents decided that the best thing for us, the best thing for their children, for their education, was to put us in a Christian school. This isn't a comment, by the way, about your educational choices. This was my parents doing the best they could. They thought what was best for us was to put us in a Christian school. And the only option for a Christian school was almost an hour away from our home. And the only way they could afford Christian school was for my mom to take a job as a teacher at that school. Now, up until this point, my home had been a very traditional one. Mom did the majority of the cooking and cleaning at the house. But now, as she drove an hour two ways each day, as she worked a full-time job and had four children, that was no longer feasible. So my dad stepped up. My dad, in his 40s, pastor of a growing church, busy man, busy southern traditional man, stepped up and took on the cooking and the cleaning of our household. And he didn't have a lot of experience at cooking. And so we ate a lot of Hamburger Helper at the beginning. (laughs) That's why this text reminds me of Hamburger Helper. Because that puts flesh on this for me. You see, as I saw my dad in his dress pants and his undershirt and his apron and a wooden spoon, I learned a lot about what it means to be a Christ-like leader. I saw someone setting aside his agenda and his comfort to cultivate his wife, to serve his children. I learned more about being a man from my dad and his apron with his wooden spoon than from all of the chest thumping and all of the bear hunting pictures of masculinity that are out there. I saw what it meant For someone to move for the sake of the other. For someone to be willing to die so that others could live. That's the pattern. That's the dance. And it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because that's what Jesus has done for us in a much greater way. He died so that we could live, so the gospel becomes the music of this dance. You see, the pattern and the power for submission 
It isn't a person diminishing who they are. It isn't that someone no longer matters. Their desires and their dreams no longer matter. The pattern and the power for submission. It is the eternal Son of God choosing to become flesh. And not only flesh, but choosing to become a slave. A servant. Submitting to His Father. With whom He was eternally equal. For the sake of their partnership in rescuing the world. That's submission. And the pattern and the power for leadership, for authority, it isn't the king putting his foot down. It isn't the general leading the troops into battle. No, the pattern and power for leadership is Jesus bleeding out on the cross to beautify us and to bring us home to God. That's the pattern. And that is not only the pattern, but it is the power. That is what will enable us to do this. That is where we will find forgiveness and mercy for when we fail to do this, which is often. And that is where we will find our true home, which enables us then to participate in His work in providing a place of belonging, a place of flourishing for those around us. Let's pray.